Welcome, listeners, to Dark Tides. This is a... Oh, I forget what I say. What is this? What is this podcast? A weekly paranormal actual play podcast. And you have joined us, if this is your first time, for the season finale of... Season two. Why are you here? Go back to right the beginning. Now. It's a narrative podcast, okay? It's a cohesive story from start to finish. You can't start at the final episode of the second season. No, don't. Yeah, don't you, do it. I mean, you can try, and you'll you spoil try. it for yourself. You'll know who dies. You'll spoil like fifty episodes worth of podcast. Go back to the beginning, you old Honestly, man. We have to tell you so often. You new listeners, you, you'd think we'd have figured it out by now, but no, we have to keep telling you. You fancy new young things. I think we've definitely Bye. succeeded in scaring off any new listeners to ever listen to the podcast. Wonderful. That's what I wanted. <laughs> All right. My name is Aubrey Lydon. I am the host, show creator, and narrator of Dark Tides. With me, and who have already chastised you, is uh, Chester Lydon and BJ Ingate, the stars. Hello. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, do you want to identify which voice is which, just in case the new people who are deciding mm. to stick around don't know? Mm, no. No. Fair enough. My my name's BJ. I'm this voice. I play the voice of Alistair Stern, who is very similar to me. Strange coincidence. Don't know how that happened. And yet it keeps happening. And yet, yeah, two seasons It's been he's been impersonating me, and I don't like it. I'm going <laughs> to... I have to no. file a lawsuit against him or something. I refuse. Chess is not going to do it. All right, that's fine. <laughs> I shan't even possibly pontificate the chance of explaining the fact that I play Heath O'Sullivan <laughs> and that my name may also possibly be Chester Lydon and that I may have played a character called Ernest Marsh. But we don't talk about him. <laughs> we don't talk about him or any of this. This didn't happen. Fair enough. He wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. He would never identify himself like that. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not like you, sully, ground-dwelling <laughs> folk, identifying yourselves, putting yourselves in a box. It's every whim. I am limitless. You can start to see the uh, the hour influences <laughs> start to come through. Where did all that come from, Chester? Me. <laughs> I'm a robot boy who wants to be a god. I am a god. Uh, right. Very, very brief recap in the past episodes of this finale arc you have returned to tier headquarters heath has been recovering from his injuries alistair has been undergoing a series of tests when you were embroiled by uh, almost entirely unnamed villains which is my kind of fault that we didn't really name any of them um and you realize that they have brought mother back from the dead slash another dimension you're not entirely sure Uh, your erstwhile nemesis from season one. Uh, She's back. She's in a corporeal form. You are in the basement of Tyr facing against a horde of zombie-type enemies, uh, and your one just-about-indestructible weapon has been taken from you. And that's where we're going to come back. Great. We love that. We're out here, you know, standard evening. Next, she's going to take my vape juice. (laughs) (laughs) No. Mom... Mom, please, come mom. on. It's healthier, mom. Mom, it's healthier. I need to rip my vape clouds. It's just steam, mom. Doesn't matter that it's still a nicotine addiction. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think about that, and it's healthier for my brain. 
Why are we doing this bit? I don't know. Let's. I blame Chester. My comedy cannot be Chester's, contained. Chester's like developing a fever as we speak. Yeah, I'm dying. To die. Oh, are you? Oh. <coughs> yeah. Don't worry. It just makes my comedy all that much better. I don't put limits on myself. I don't need to listen to this again. I'll be oh, dead no. by then. Chester's brought out the vape juice jokes. He must be getting sick again. No, give him some Panadol. <laughs> Heath, you begin to regain consciousness. You have been hit in the head with a brick uh, as the ceiling collapsed above you. You are coming to the air is filled with dust and smoke. Uh, You can hear a whimper from somewhere not far away, but you are crawling onto your side and trying to uh, look around. You make a quick perception check for me. He beefed it. Beefed. (laughs) Nine. Okay. Okay. Your survival instincts have kicked in despite being quite groggy and in a bit of pain and the dust and smoke around you. uh, You realise what's happened. You realise that um, something has broken through the floor above, that this must have been the final stages of the fight that was going on above you. You do not know where anyone else is. You know that Emily and Warwick were heading for the elevators and you begin um, to marshal your strength you get yourself to your feet you are stumbling over rubble and things as you look around you see an arm pale and scarred hanging out from a pile of rubble you don't know you do not know whose it is uh right a scarred hand you just see an arm is this is this the bunny man you don't know um you can either decide to follow heath and emily and head for Alistair and Puck downstairs, or you can stay to investigate. It's up to you. Uh, I will stay to investigate real quick. Okay. Make, um, I guess, just a strength check to to s- uncover whoever uh, Another nine. Another nine. It takes a little bit of time. Um, your head is spinning and you feel nauseous, but you begin to try and dig away at the rubble. It doesn't take very long for you to find Charlotte Bell. She is dead. You can't tell whether it was the fall through the roof and the rubble or if it was the fight above hand, above ground, that killed her. Yeah. Do I see Anne anywhere? Uh, this is the only person you found. Okay. Heath is going to, to kneel down and pull her up out of the, the rubble and begin carrying her away from the remains of the ceiling above. You can choose to keep searching if you like, or you can choose to go. Yeah, okay. Heath will lean her up against the wall that they threw the mysterious man through, and he is going to keep searching through the rubble. We'll roll with your initial nine as you continue to search. Um, you find a strange, small figure curled up and almost dried out like a husk, and you realize that whatever this is, this was probably the origin of the hunger that you fought on the level above. It seems to be almost like a small mummified humanoid creature, but definitely not human, but it is dead too. Yeah. And as you continue searching, you also find Anne dead as well. Ah. Whatever the fight was that took place after you left, it seems to have taken all that they had to contain the hunger and to force it through the floor to kill it. 
Okay, Heath is going to pick Anne up as well, and he's going to carry her across to the elevator that him, Warwick, and Emily took down. And he's going to place her in it, then go and pick up Charlotte as well, and put her in it as well, and press the button for it to go up. Okay. Um, it's grinding. It sounds like it's not well. It's not functioning very well. Um, you get most of the way up. The doors open, but you're not fully level with the floor. You have to kind of climb up to get it out. Yeah. Uh, and you realize that this first layer of the, the basement floor, this is the first like subterranean level. There is just a massive hole and you can see absolute carnage all over the room. It seems like more or less after you left, things got out of hand. The hunger obviously nearly escaped and clawed its way up into higher levels and they forced it back. You see as you get to this level uh, and the doors open, you can see that there are two figures here as well and you realise that um, Reverend Pevensey and Granger are here. Yeah. Pevensey seems to be um, trying to haul Granger away. Granger is unconscious, bleeding heavily from the head. Uh, it seems like they were able to join the fight up here. Right, Heath is going to uh, begin ferrying the bodies up onto this other level out of the elevator. Once he gets Granger to a safe distance away from the hole, Pevensey comes and he takes Anne from your arms and begins to move her, and then he comes back to help you get Charlotte. You begin to lay your dead out side by side next to the stairs. Granger is groggy and he seems to be slightly delirious as he keeps trying to move and uh, Pevensey keeps forcing him to sit and trying to speak quietly to him. Heath sways a little bit, looking down at them, and he puts his hand on Pevensey's shoulder. says, you keep an eye on them. I will. I will. Yeah, and Heath's going to start walking back towards the elevator. Actually, no, he's just going to walk to the hole. And jump down it. All right. I have gravity powers. You do. You have gravity powers. Oh, man, the elevator is take slow. the stairs. <laughs> uh, are you heading for for the stairs or for the the elevator shaft? Um, what type of stairs are there? Are the ones that they have the hole in the middle that I could just jump straight down? Yep. Yeah, I'll tell you that. All right. You make your way. You can see um, a ways down. You can see Warwick charging right at the bottom. He's kind of just reached the bottom of the stairs, realising that they, they probably couldn't take the elevator down. Emily is close behind him. She's alternately sliding down the banisters and jumping down to the next level. Uh, and they are almost at the bottom. You drop. You just sort of let yourself fall over the edge and catch yourself with your vertigo ability and you drop right to the bottom. Uh, as you reach the bottom of the stairwell, you round a corner, Heath, and you emerge into this large circular room with the domed roof. This is the final level of the basement. And what you see before you is a nightmarish sight. The room with its domed ceiling is heaving with undead figures, burning blue. They're swarming from fissures in the floor, the walls, the ceiling, and they're all converging on the centre of the room, where you can see this split in reality, hissing and smoking at the edges. Standing before the fissure is the naked figure of a young woman, hands outstretched. Alistair, bruised and bloody, is standing before her, and his back puck has just dropped an office chair that she was brandishing and is looking at her hands and her arms. 
Even from this instance, Heath, your eyes can pick out that something is wrong. Puck's tattoos seem to be moving and shifting in a way that you've never seen them move. To your left, you can see what you recognise must be the masked man from Bruges. Now without his breathing apparatus and mask, he's hauling himself from one of the fishes, and he seems to be readying himself to attack again. As you watch Heath, you see Alistair flick his wrist and then throw something small directly at the young woman before him. Alistair, you have just thrown the carrion dagger, this new weapon that you have been gifted. Are you throwing it directly for her or to be next to her? What are you trying to do? Um, Alistair's kind of just throwing it directly at her. Not aiming for her head, probably more just aiming for her chest, but also, you know, he's not the most experienced knife thrower in the world, so he's just throwing it as close to hit her as possible. Okay, make an attack roll for me. So I have a plus one to hit with the dagger. Do I add any of my combat skills to that? Or because I'm throwing it, probably not. Um, I would say this is probably... It's not, not really close quarters content. Like if I was attacking with it without throwing, maybe. I'm just going to say that this is... I'm going to say this is a close quarters combat because you are quite close to her. It's not like a precision distance throw. Okay. So is that plus three and then another plus one to hit with the dagger? Yes. That's a nine then. Um, you flick it towards her and you realise pretty quickly that you've maybe misjudged it slightly. It might just nick her shoulder, kind of like above her shoulder. Um, but as it flies forwards, you feel this curious sensation. It's almost like a tugging at the back of your your neck and your shoulders. It moves you forwards just, just gently, almost as if there's a magnetic pull to the knife. You can kind of choose to obey it and let it pull you off balance, or you can choose to resist. It's up to you. Alistair kind of is taken off guard for a second as almost the world slows down as he kind of processes this information. Um, and he realizes that he's, you know, potentially entering combat with a weapon that he's never used before, let alone seen before. But he, after processing that, kind of just thinks for a second and then sort of relinquishes the urge to fight it and lets this kind of pull take him wherever it's going to. Interesting. You you let this this pull take you. You just respond instinctively, trusting the weapon that you've been gifted. And you actually bleed into this uh, monochromatic... Is that the word? Yep. The mono... Yeah, you bleed into this monochromatic headspace... And then you rush forwards. It's like your vision has pulled you through the space and your vision is focused on the knife. The knife has missed her and has flung just over her shoulder and the knife is spinning in the air behind her. And you are just rushing towards the knife and you feel uh, cold air on your skin and you hear the rustle of birds' feathers. And then you are behind her. You are holding the knife you're completely off balance you're actually in mid-air kind of falling forwards but your hand is again on the pommel of the knife and you realize that you have just been transported from one side of this room to the other behind her make uh make a save for me okay dc6 six all right you you drop and you realize oh i was not expecting to be in mid-air and you drop, and you just manage to like uh, drop onto 
both feet and one hand to save yourself from completely like face planting on the stone. Alistair lands. <sighs> Whoa. Looks at the knife. Um, do I notice anything different about the knife or does it just look the same as it did before? It looks the same as it did before. Okay, that was weird. Uh, I'd like to make another attack on Mother. Sure. Um, but this time I want to... Because I'm much closer to her now. Like, I'm right behind her. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. So I'm going to try and, like, restrain her. Um, like, get up to her and, like, put the knife across her throat kind of thing without actually trying to do damage. So I'll roll an attack for that, which is a 15. Okay. Uh, unfortunately for you, that does not hit. Not because of her armor class, but because as you you kind of you regain your balance, you spin on the spot to bring the knife around uh, to try and restrain her, but your hand, your arm, actually collides with a stone pillar that just erupts out of the ground to block her like a shield. Ah! Okay! You don't take any damage, but you kind of bounce off it and you move to the side and you realize that Puck has dashed to be right next to you. What was that? Did you see? Mother turns to you and she puts her hand out against the stone pillar and it crumbles into dust. She has superpowers. Of course she does. There is no use to fight me, Alistair Stern. There is no fighting to be done. Simply bend the knee. You look at Puck. Puck is looking very confused and you see that her tattoos, she had the bowie knife on her arm, which she used and lost, but she had a few other things. She had some of the stuff that she keeps on her more or less all the time. A bottle of water, a rope, a medicine pack, this sort of stuff. And these tattoos that would normally be on her arms are undulating and moving very strangely. Elster's going to turn towards Puck. What's happening? Are you alright? I think so. And then Puck gets hit. Uh, Another one of these pillars of stone just erupts at an angle and impacts her straight in the chest and just Puck shoves her to the ground away from you. Alice is going to run towards her. And can I make a paranormal knowledge roll on her tattoos? Sure. 11 plus 2, so that's a 13. You do not know exactly what her tattoos are doing, but you would surmise that exactly what you felt before, this rush of, of power and vitality that uh, you feel strengthened your own ability, this is probably the same thing that's happened to Puck, except that it's affecting Puck in a different sort of way. Okay, so it's not that Mother is manipulating her tattoos. No. Okay. In fact, you actually hear Puck grunts as she falls to the ground. She sort of rolls uh, to get back onto her feet, and you hear this sort of growl of fury as Puck really does not like being shoved around, and she clenches both fists, obviously making to move forwards, and as she does so, her tattoos drain away. They drain down her arms into her hands and you begin to see something forming between her clenched fingers and a black battle axe forms in the air made of her tattoos it's like a shining black steel Alistair like you know investigating like with my role like he was trying to figure out like is she being manipulated is she okay um, and then kind of with realising what's happening and then also seeing the look in her eye and the axe like appearing in her hand he's like you're fine and then like instinctively steps out of her way it's like not only do i not need to take care of you i need to get out of your way she dashes forwards and leaps into the air she brings the axe around her head and up 
to swing it down and impacts another one of these stone pillars that just seems mother is barely moving she's not making any gestures she's not speaking any words but it's like the environment around her will do anything to protect her and puck crunches through one of these pillars shearing it in half drops to the ground and then begins to swing again another one comes up and she chops through this too um, but every blow that she tries to land is intercepted by stone it's at this point that you hear a roar from across the room alistair we're here uh, you see uh, Warwick is striding towards you. The, the the undead are beginning to change direction and sort of flow towards him. And he's sort of just like backhanding them out of the way. One of them just <laughs> runs straight for him. He grabs it by the head and flings it over his shoulder, smacks another one out of the way. And he's just like forging a path towards you. Alistair like looks over his shoulder. Warwick, glad you could join us. Can you keep these things off us? Like, obviously he's talking like indicating towards the the undead creatures absolutely one of them jumps on his back <laughs> tries to pull it off and he's like turning around in circles trying to get this thing off his, <laughs> off his back it's hanging on to him he'll be fine and uh, is going to turn back uh towards mother how's puck doing puck is just swinging the axe again and again and again almost as if she has endless energy and fury that she's just pouring out against mother but every time the stone comes up to block her and it seems to be getting faster and faster and more and more vicious in its blocks not only does it stop the attack it also pushes her back Alistair's gonna like he takes a second and watches Puck watches the attacks sees what's going on the pillars are all coming up so she's trying to run like attack towards mother right and the pillars are like coming up from the ground is that right? Mm mhm Alistair takes, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven seconds to just sort of watch and study what's going on, understand kind of the attacks that are happening, and then he looks to the knife, again, like, testing the grip and the weight in his hand, takes a deep breath. This is worth a shot. And he's going to, like, gently toss the dagger up into the air in a kind of a curving circle so that it will go up and then fall straight down right to where mother is inside right. this like wall of pillars that are defending her from pucks attacks all right make an attack roll okay so i rolled a two and i'm going to substitute that for a 12 because i have two 12s left in my prescience that seems a bit op i know i because i had a 12 and a four and then when i i used the four and then i rolled again when i got the extra point and i got another 12 <laughs> so uh so that's a 12 natural 12 plus one for the dagger plus three for close quarters combat is a what is that 16 okay yeah 16 works so alistair thinks about it calculates the distance underhand throws the knife gently into the air and it arcs over and then starts dropping like straight down right over where mother is and he's going to close his eyes and focus on that feeling that he had just a moment before, that feeling of rushing forward. But this time, he's going to focus on the knife and focus on the timing. And if I can, I'm going to let this feeling take me and transport mm -hmm. me forwards and then reappear with his hand on the knife just as it's about to like stab into her and catch it like inches above mother. Okay, yeah, you feel your mind 
drop away and then rush through the space to meet the knife and there you are snap into being above her hand on the knife Alistair catches the knife mid-air centimetres away from her skin and looks at her in the eyes there's just that moment of stillness as he realises what he's just done and as she kind of realises what's happening because she's being distracted by Puck Puck's been through enough today and then he's going to take the blunt end of the knife and just crack it with all his strength into the bottom of her jaw. I would say that's probably a D8 of damage, considering the momentum of the the drop as well. Okay, Uh, that's seven damage. And then you are grabbed uh, from behind, and you are flung to the ground, Alistair. And you realise that the formerly masked man has intervened. You've gotten a hit on her, but he is launched in as soon as he realises that you've tried something different. And he's sort of like grabbed you around the legs and is trying to slam you into the ground to get you away from her as she stumbles back. And even as you hit the ground, you can see uh, a split in the skin and blood begin to seep from the wound on her chin. As she stumbles back. Oh, okay. Did I knock her unconscious? Not unconscious, not on the jaw, but you've definitely wounded her. Um, You roll to the ground. Puck is going to move forwards. Right, Puck, seeing that you've been attacked, she steps in and swings the axe up and she actually catches the masked man in the hip and you hear the steel bite in and him grunt as she sort of swings him off you and begins to pull you to your feet. New toy? He, like, gestures to the axe. Yeah, you're pulled upright. She's panting us. Yep. New toy. And you realise now that uh, Warwick and Emily are making a tremendous amount of noise as they are attracting as much of the attention as possible. And Heath, uh, you can hear Heath yelling over the top. Heath, are you planning to try and get to Puck and Alistair or are you staying with Warwick and Emily? Heath's focus is the masked man as he doesn't really understand what else is exactly going on here. So he's trying to cut through to him. Yeah, you're pushing your way through. You're using your vertigo ability. That power that you felt pushed through you, you're realizing that this has actually increased the range of your power. You can put your hands out and you're just pushing gravity in front of you, almost making like a wedge. And everything that's coming towards you is just getting smashed to one side as you push your way through the crowd. You are basically affecting the gravity of all the things that come into close contact with you and it just flings them back um, away from you. Uh, you break out into the circle and you are with Puck and Alistair. Between, there are the three of you standing there. In front of you is the masked man. He's rolled off. You can see where the, the axe has impacted him and he's shaking himself. And he is standing between you and Mother, who is holding a hand to her chin with blood running down her arm uh, from her hand where she is trying to stop the bleeding. Alistair looks at Heath and goes, Did you get the bunny? Heath looks at you and doesn't answer. He looks quite tired and quite affected. And he just nods at the the glowing woman and says, I'll trust her to you. And he's going to start walking slowly now towards the masked man. Because he's basically the only person in this situation that he knows anything about and knows that he can actually fight. Okay. As you begin to move forwards, Mother steps to the masked man uh, and she places her hand around him and onto his chest from behind. 
and you see that green fire that's been burning in his eyes and sort of glowing in his chest just roars as it triples in size and now his eyes are just burning pits of green and his chest is glowing with this fire it seems like she's put more power into him can i roll an attack on her while she's there you can you're not going to have stopped her doing this but you can attack her that's fine at that moment it's more just trying to get her out of the way oh that was a that i just rolled a nat 12 plus four is another 16 so um again like seeing her step over he probably his attention is probably brought to it by like the green fire probably not going to miss that so he sees that happen and again grabs the knife instead of holding it by the handle like changes his grip so he's holding the handle with his fingers as opposed to like wrapping around again pulls his hands back takes a second aims carefully and then throws and this time this time i'm aiming for her head so with a 16 can i say that my plan is to catch the knife as the handle is heading towards her and because again i really i don't want to stab her in the face i want to keep her alive if i can at least for a little bit but i want to stop her so Alice is going to try and, again, closing his eyes, trying to focus on this rushing feeling that he's still trying to get used to. He's going to focus on catching the knife at the right angle that he can twist and spin and use the momentum of the knife's throw to add to, like, just a punch straight into the face. All right. Well, with a, a 16, I'll say that you can do that and then just roll to attack. So is that another D8 damage? Same as before? Yep. At uh, six. Yeah, you appear right next to the masked man as he is sort of lowering his stance, preparing for Heath's attack, and you just wham, like a, a proper cross cut straight behind him into Mother's head. Nice. Uh, she is sort of taken off guard and flung from him, and as he sort of spins around to try and prevent you, he puts an arm out to stop you, and then you, f- um, you feel the impact as it, simultaneously both Heath and Puck impact the masked man as well Heath has gone high he's come up and it's coming down with the batons uh, against this guy's head whereas Puck has gone low and she's swinging the axe in for his his upper thigh Alistair like does his best to dodge out of the way of their attacks yeah you you roll to the ground the masked man takes these impacts he grabs Heath and flings him he goes to try and intercept um, Puck but she's kicked him away and she's moved to you. Now, I want you and Puck to roll for symmetry. Oh, nice. Okay. That's an eight. And she got a five. That's above a 12. Nice. Um, so from now on in this next round or so, the two of you are familiar enough with each other's fighting styles. You've trained in this way. You can coordinate your attacks to give each other openings and to reinforce each other. Okay. All right. Great. Um... The stone that Mother was resting on mm-hmm. is that there's uh, like is there some obvious like you know is something coming from the stone like do we need to be trying to destroy the stone or is she just like siphoned all the power now just so I know roughly like what we're you, going for you don't know actually make an Arcana check for me paranormal knowledge. paranormal knowledge yeah sorry yep that's a four plus two so six. You honestly have no idea what the connection is. The stone just looks like a stone, but it must be important because it's down here and in such a prominent place. You're more concerned by the tear in reality that seems to be burning, like hissing with heat at the edges. 
Um, yep. But you have no clue, really, and you're not being given enough time to think as these pillars of stone keep shooting up, trying to block you and hit you. Yep, okay. Heath, you have just moved forwards. You've uh, swung up and down uh, to attack the masked man. You've brought your billy clubs down on his head and then been pushed backwards. When did I do this? While you were out of the room. Oh, okay. All right, Heath is... So I've been pushed further back from him? Just a little bit. And then Puck has kicked him towards you as she's gone to reinforce Alistair. Okay, Heath is going to put his uh, batons on his hips and wait for the masked man to swing in, basically. Um, yeah, okay. He just dashes forwards and you see that he kind of has reached low and he's pulling out some kind of... Um, knife that's been strapped to his ankle it's yep. about the only weapon he has left and he's just moving in uh, with a 14 he grabs his hand and twists it back as he gets close to him and he's going to look him directly in the eyes and kind of growl to him I'm not playing around and he's going to bring his hand back and smash it into his chest basically trying to break into his like break through his ribs and pull out his heart with a 14, you can definitely hit him. Uh, I'm going to roll a I'm just gonna basically going to keep hitting him in the same spot. All right, well, I'm going to roll a save. Okay, he got a 10. Um, well, I also have two attacks per turn, so right. I'll roll a second time. Okay, roll a second time. Another nat 12 plus my two to attack, so another 14. All right, you punch him, you hit him again, and you feel your fist break through the ribs underneath this sort of blackened, shriveled skin of decay, but you feel your hand begin to burn with this green fire that sort of um, rushes out of the wound, uh, and you kind of instinctually draw your hand back and you realise this is not going to be straightforward. What's your armour class again? Nine. All right. In reaction, he kind of elbows you, uh, and then tries to go with the knife, but you're too fast and too determined. Um, you duck low, and he swings again, and he swings even wider this time, uh, unable to kind of keep up with your speed. Your turn. Uh, okay, so first attack, uh, 10 plus 2, so 12. Hits. Uh, as he turns, as he's like spinning around him, Heath, still aiming for kind of the same side, but now the side of the ribs that he's already broken. He just slams his fist into that part again, and then... That's going to be a three. All right. You again, you feel ribs crunch underneath your fist, um, but you don't break through as you did last time. It's rolling like trash. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, reacting to your your hit, he tries to just punch outwards with the, um, the, the butt of his hand into your face, but misses as you, you swing out of the way. And then he kind of regains himself and swings in with the knife and he jams uh, the knife into your upper shoulder um, and kind of stabs and then pulls the knife out and jumps back trying to defend himself. Does nine hit? Nine does hit. Okay, Heath is going to, as the knife leaves, he's going to keep going with him and is going to try to dive underneath him, grabs his hand that has the knife and he's going to punch the, basically punch the elbow, basically trying to shatter the elbow. You impact the elbow and you realise you've probably done a fair amount of damage, um, but you haven't fully broken it. And then with a 10, I'm going to try again. Okay. Going from a different angle. All right, four, you break He's it. not happy. Yeah, so that's his right hand. You've, you've broken the elbow and it sort of flops useless as he 
brings a knee up into your chest to force you back a little bit. As he brings the knee up, you're forced back. He tries to kick out at you, but you're moving back already. And so that doesn't work. He brings his leg down and swings his full body around using his other leg in kind of a roundhouse. Uh, and this time he connects with your, your midriff. He hits you just above the hip, kind of in that soft part of the kidney. Um, and you feel the air kind of leave your lungs as you feel this impact in somewhere. You're already very hurt because this is where you could already be punched by your earlier fights. Um, and you kind of gasp as you feel this impact. All right, we'll return to Alistair and Puck. Uh, Alistair, what are you doing? Okay. Um, all right, Alistair's going to take the knife and running kind of to the side, he's going to, again, carefully aim and throw it along the ground, like, so it skips along the ground and stops sitting on the ground, like, I don't know, 10, 15 metres away from him. Um, but this time he's not going to to relinquish and and use that urge to rush forward to the knife. And basically, it's also kind of an experiment on his part to understand how it works and what this thing is. If it's a thing where it he will always move to it or if he can throw it somewhere without immediately um, it sort of bringing him forward. So I assume he can stop that. Yep. Yep. He can, okay. You can choose to, uh, to, to obey the pull or not. So Alistair chucks it along the ground and then catches eyes with Puck for a second while she's, um, you know, dodging and, and destroying these, these pillars. And he just, the slightest little head movement towards the knife. Um, and because we rolled for symmetry, I'll say that she kind of understands what he's thinking. And so mm -hmm. she diverts her attack as well to start, instead of pushing her back the way she was, she goes the other way to start pushing her towards where the knife is. Um, and Alistair's going to come round to like behind where Puck is. Um, and basically the idea is that Puck's going to push her back towards where the knife is. And this time, instead of coming in on top, Alistair's going to appear underneath and attack from underneath when she gets on top of the knife, basically. Yeah, Mother is bleeding from the chin. You've basically left a big gash almost down to the bone of the jaw and she's dripping blood. And you can see that she is sort of furiously concentrating as these pillars of stone are kind of erupting one after another um, in defense of her and then erupting out at angles to smash you guys back. All right, but it is her turn. What's your armor class? Uh, it's a seven. And we said that that didn't change with the level up, did we? True. Yeah, um, so seven. All right, you've gotten used to these stone pillars, this this way of manipulating stone that she's been using. Oh no, um, I don't like where this is going. And so it comes as, as a surprise as Puck darts forwards and meets another one of these stone pillars. And as you sort of move around to kind of take her place in the attack, you are just met with this burst of fire that erupts uh, out of the ground in front of you, almost like another one of these pillars. Uh, and it burns into your left arm and sort of singes over you. Oh! And you are going to take uh, seven damage. Okay. Puck is sort of off-put by this. She moves to kind of block the next attack coming at you uh, and isn't really able to hit her. How close is she to the knife? Is she right on top of it? or? I would say she's about three metres before it's sort of close enough. Okay. So maybe one more round of pushing her back. 
Yep. All right. Um, Alistair's going to, yeah, just kind of jump to the side to try and avoid the the fire that, you know, to avoid any more damage from the fire that's just attacked him. Um, and he's going to dive to the side and, like, I'll just prepare, like, a, a dodge action so that if that happens again, I can try and dodge out of the way and negate some of the damage. All right. Well, that makes it her turn. Okay. Mm. With a t- nat 12. Oh, no. Mother has sort of been hit and reeled back. And you see her eyes, which are these sort of spinning black uh, galaxies. There's no white. There's just almost this infinite pupil with light spinning in it. You see her frown and you see um, she touches her chin again and the cut heals. It just grows over and there isn't even a scar left. She puts her hand out and the stone pillars they rush forwards all at once with a speed you haven't seen before and they begin to clamp themselves around puck even as she's trying to break out they begin to to hem her in and squeeze inwards um, almost like paralyzing her locking her in uh they go right up to the shoulders and press in pinning her arms to her sides okay but she has moved back so i would say that you you are close enough that you could use your move if you want to yep um i'm gonna Alice is kind of torn between helping Puck and, you know, he's prepared this attack. He really needs to take the opportunity. And he kind of decides that if he's able to take her out, then, you know, the pillars should disappear. So there's like a split-second hesitation as he tries to make up his mind. Um, And then he again closes his eyes, feels that rushing forward, sees in this monochrome vision in his mind, he sees the position of the knife, he sees how it how it's sitting on the ground and he feels the blade in his hand as he lets this rushing cold wind take him and he appears kind of crouching on the ground with one hand over the knife gripping it mm-hmm. directly I think because of the hesitation she would have maybe stepped one step back so he's like right in front of mother Sure. Um, and again I'm going to this time um because I'm underneath, like, pushing up with my other hand to try and grab her by the neck and, like, push her upwards and then onto her back. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I've got to roll an attack for this. Uh, is that just, like, a straight... Because I'm not attacking with the knife. That's just a straight... Straight close quarters combat. Yep, which is an 11 plus 3, so 14. Sure. Yeah, you... Basically, as far as she is concerned, you have just appeared below her and you just sort of rocket upwards with an uppercut and you hit her right in underneath the chin and fling her backwards. Her head snaps back and she begins to fall. Um, I think I would have held on, so like grabbed her by the throat and held on to like push her neck down. Oh, okay. You're kind of body slamming her then. Yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to restrain her more than do damage at the moment. Right, as you do this, her concentration breaks momentarily and you hear the sound of cracking stone and out of the corner of your eye you see the stone around Puck smash outwards and you realise that her tattoos have changed form again, no longer the battle axe but now a round Viking style shield um, that she's nice. used to force her way out of the stone as okay. she steps out and begins to charge forwards. So is that her uh, mother's turn again? Uh, I guess it would be mother's turn, yeah. Because I'm technically grappling her. Would she have to, like, roll to get out of that? Or We'll make an opposed check. So you roll roll your combat again, and she'll roll yep. to try and extricate herself. That's a 14 again, 11 plus 3. 
Roll the same right, thing. You just beat her. Okay. So her hand snaps up to grab yours, but you've already got the momentum and the speed on your side, and she can't quite stop uh, this as you crash her into the ground. Um, all right, and now I'm going to roll an attack with the knife. This time, finally using the blade, uh, I'm going to stab it into her shoulder. Like, just just on the inside of, like, the bony part of the shoulder joint. Six to attack. That's not going to hit. Okay. Um, you do, but she is already twisting away, and you realise that something strange is happening. Uh, your fingers that have been holding her are suddenly not holding her anymore, and you realise that she's almost turned into smoke, and she is beginning to sort of, you even as you bring the knife down, you absolutely should have hit her, but it goes right through her like mist. Wow, okay. Uh, and yep. she pushes to the side, almost driven by a wind, and as Puck charges in, um, the shield turning back into the axe as she brings it down, right where Mother's head would have been. Uh, the dust, the mist sort of just disperses, Back to Heath. What are you doing, Heath? Yep. Heath is still slowly just taking slow steps towards the masked man advancing on him. People are dead. Lots of people. So normally I'd I'd offer that we could end this now. But not for you. Not now. And he's going to take another swing at him. So I just went up four, so eleven. Eleven hits. So Heath is going to bring his uh, knee up right to his chest and bring it down on the masked man's knee. So crunching it in. And then six hit? Uh, six does not hit. Okay, so then crunches it down the knee and brings down a fist and misses with that one then. Okay. <laughs> Again, I'm okay. I'm changing dice. Twice he, he <laughs> lashes out at you. You can see that he's trying to go for your face. He's obviously trying to like disable you. Um, but as he hobbles back with the knee and he only has one working arm now, <laughs> it's not working. Uh, behind you, Heath, you hear Warwick roar and you kind of, uh, as he's moving and you kind of change your footing, you can see over his shoulder for a moment, you can see um, Warwick is just, it's almost like shadow boxing. It's what you've seen him do in the gym. It's just as many punches per second as possible as he's trying to overwhelm this crowd of undead that are coming towards him. And you can see Emily still fighting with the sword. She's swinging out left and right, uh, using the blade rather than the point for maximum amount of contact. And around her, these shadowy clusters of um, armored figures that seem to be almost non-existent, almost just flickers of shadow. But you can, you've seen this before. You can tell roughly what they are, and they are defending her. And over their shoulders behind them, you see, coming through the stairwell, um, you see a flash of golden light as Granger dashes through and down into the fray. And you can see Pevensey running behind him. Heath smiles at this for a second, then looks back at the masked man. And with a 12 and a 10, Heath brings his leg back up and smashes it into his knee again. And at the same time, reaches down, grabbing his foot and crunches it back up, shattering the knee. All right, yep, you've hobbled him well and truly. Okay, finally. <laughs> um, you've done this, and you're kind of getting right up in his face as you do so, whether it's to intimidate him or just because you, you're kind of feeling vengeful. Um, but you are slightly surprised as he lashes out with, one, with his hand 
and you sort of move to the side easily and then it grabs you from behind and you realize he wasn't trying to hit you he was trying to grab you and you feel it on the back of your neck his hand and you feel your mind begin to drop into this cold non-reality that you'd experienced once before all right and i want you to make an opposed check with him nine no twelve oh. Do I well, do I plus my attack or anything to that? No, this is just like a willpower. Okay, then it's just a seven then. All right. Um, you feel yourself freeze up and you drop into this sort of unreality and your mind is filled with this sort of cold and the voice, the command you hear fall and you begin to feel your body lock up as you begin to drop to your side. We're going to return to Puck and Alistair. What are you doing, Alistair? Okay, um, so has she rematerialized? Um, she has, but this time she's in the air above you. She's sort of corporeally coming back together, and she's again above the stone uh, in front of this this gaping fissure in reality. This time I'm going to say that Puck's going to go first. Okay. And I would like her to throw her axe. Oh, she got the shield now. Um, she has guess- the axe again. Yeah, okay, great. Um, Basically throw that at Mother, and then if she tries to dodge the incoming axe, Alistair will throw the knife to where she's going to. So, like, the axe is almost like the faint attack that she'll try and... Mm -hmm. If she tries to avoid it, then Alistair will have an opportunity while she's distracted to uh, throw the knife and get up close to her again. You kind of nod to Puck and gesture with the knife. She knows what you're doing. And a little bit to your surprise, and perhaps to Puck's too, the the battle axe changes shape again, and this time it is a long, barbed spear. Yeah, nice. Um, and moving with a slight run, Puck darts forwards and flings the spear in an overarm cast um, towards Mother, who, just as you had kind of expected, uh turns out of the way and you throw the knife to intercept her on the other side. So I rolled a three for that attack and I'm going to use my last prescience number which is a 12 to substitute that for a 12 plus three for combat plus one for the knife is a 16 to attack. Alistair closes his eyes, sees these various glimpses of the future and different timelines in monochrome spreading out he sees himself throw the knife directly for her he sees her at the last second dodge out of the way and Alistair catching the knife in midair and falling as he's coming directly towards her she sees him at the last second dodging out of the way and then him falling away from her back down to the floor and landing painfully and at the last second he thinks again corrects his aim and throws the knife way to the right, so wide that it goes metres away from her and then hits the wall and bounces and comes back towards her, but from behind. And he then closes his eyes again, feels that rushing forward, times it, feels, imagines the knife in his hand, imagines the force, the way it's spinning, and lets go, rushes forward and catches it just at the right time as it comes down and he's going to continue with the momentum and stab it into her back. I would not let you do that normally, but you rolled very high. Yeah. (laughs) So the rebound works. You feel it uh, impact, like, maybe the back 
of her ribs underneath the shoulder blades and you feel as you hit her in midair she's only just returned into kind of corporeal form um, and you impact her and you realise that she's kind of beginning to drop out of the air with the force of it and you're heading towards the ground slightly leave you just there we return to you Heath you are in this cold darkness your vision everything has gone into this sort of blackness and you can only see the burning green eyes Heath tries to pull himself up trying to focus on his anger his his hate his emotions right now trying to use that to pull himself out but it's not working it's not enough and he feels himself just slumped on the ground and he takes a second to breathe and he remembers he thinks of all the times he had had arguments with Charlotte and the very disapproving looks he had gotten from Anne whenever she wasn't looking at a book on something that he had done but he also thinks of the fact that Charlotte was the one that tasked him with having Team Wormwood she was the one who had faith in him to teach them and Anne being in support of him joining the selectmen which was the group underneath the uh, table and he thinks about Alistair and Puck and training them and he thinks of his wife and his daughter and he brings his fist up and he jams it into the ground and he thinks of Warwick and of Emily and he begins to crane himself up off of the ground. Alright, make a willpower check with advantage. Ten. Ten will do it. Uh, he got an eight to put you into it. He beat you with an eight, I think. Oh, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. You you break free. Uh, you feel the rush of heat come back to you. Uh, you hear the sounds of battle and you realise that you are in control of your body again. Heath is going to crane himself up and as he's done many times before, bring his fists up and bash them into the ground, pushing himself up to standing, and he looks at the masked man. Where is he? He's sort of kneeling on one one knee. He's sort of semi-crouched down. He was right next to you um, because one broken arm and one broken leg. Um, he's sort of semi-immobilized. Uh, he's looking up at you. This just burning green of undead fire in his eyes. And you realize in that moment, you kind of have this moment of clarity that whatever he is, is really just a shell. There's this fire burning, but there's almost nothing behind it. It's just magic keeping him alive. And you have a strangely compassionate question in your mind. Does he even want to be here? Does he even want any of this? He is going to walk up to him with the sounds of the tear near them and the, the clang of fighting. And he says... Let go. I can't. Not my will, but hers. Then I'll end it. And he kneels down and, like, grabs him by the the back of the head and then by the jaw and snaps his neck. Um, we'll make an opposed check because he, he has to resist you. Ten. 
If anyone wants to send me new dice, <laughs> this is the third one I've tried today. Four. Well, yep. I mean, he is pretty debilitated. He is pretty debilitated, fine. But I feel like the rolls have been on your side. Well, I will he, say, he, you know, like every other time. He, you reach for him and he goes to try and, uh, like, keep your hand from moving, but you just have more strength than him right now. There is a sickening crack as you break the neck. You see the, the fire burn even brighter and then it begins to dwindle out. Rest now. You see as he begins to kind of crumple backwards and the what is it, whatever has been keeping this body going, whatever has been keeping it animate, is beginning to fall away and he sort of collapses in a heap. As you look around, you can see Warwick um, is like lifting one of the undead over his head with both hands and is like throwing it to knock more over. Um, Emily is keeping a wide circle around her where the other, where this crowd of undead can't get in and you can see Granger. Um, you've never seen Granger fight before. Granger has always been this very calm, collected, cold presence at the board. You've never seen him in action, but you see now... Um, he has this almost burning golden light around his hands and up his arms and it seems to be covering him almost like this suit of armour um, of the torso up uh, and he is lashing out. Every t time he touches uh, one of these creatures, it sort of fries in golden light and disintegrates uh, as he is forging his way deeper and deeper in and behind him, Pevensey, as the undead begin to fade. The fire at first goes out, um, and it's almost like candles on a cake blown out. There is just a gust of wind, and all of the blue fire that keeps their souls animate passes, and they're gone. And they're just standing skeletons or bodies, and then they turn to dust and begin to drop away. Alistair, you have hit Mother in the back. You felt the knife sink in. You pull it out and begin to roll to the side to drop away rather than to try and follow her down, realising that uh, you'll be at a disadvantage if you hit the ground hard. And you're able to drop. You, in fact, drop and Puck almost catches you. She kind of moves her arm out to change your momentum and brings you to the ground in a roll uh, okay. and then swings around to cover you again with the shield, expecting a backlash. But you realise there's a sudden silence as Mother hits the ground and rolls and Moot stays still, and you realise that the undead are dropping all around you. Alistair puts his hand out to Puck, and he's like, it's okay. And he's going to stand up and run over to Mother and roll her over and try and, like, sit her up because he's realised, like, he, he just did a lot of damage just then. Probably okay. punctured a lung or something. Like, he's she's probably not going to get up again unless she does something crazy. You roll her over, and as you are kind of trying to move her into a sitting position, you realise that this body that she's in, uh, I think you had already figured out this is probably like an artificially grown body. It was never yep. a real person. But you realise that it's young. Like there's, there's very little muscle density in here. There's not a lot of strength in this body itself. Um, and she's quite small comparative to you even. Yep. Uh, the eyes are closed. There's blood running down her back from the wound. What are you going to do? Um, Alistair like props her against a wall and stands up. She's right next to the stone again. She's sort of because she appeared above it and you've dropped, so you yeah, can kind of right. lean her against the stone. Alania, you see the eyes begin to flicker and open groggily. Alistair kind of 
crouches low and grips the knife just in case, but he's fairly certain she's not going to try and attack again. You need to let go. You see the sort of confusion in her eyes. It's almost a childish expression. Let go of what? This. All of this. She smiles at you. There's sort of, again, this childish innocence. You can't let go. There's nothing else. You have to. You have to face it at some point. Oh, I have. I have faced it, Alistair. I've faced death. I've seen what comes after. I've seen all there is to see. But that wasn't enough for me. She looks around. She realizes that the masked masked man is dead at the rest of Tear beginning to regain themselves and move into a semicircle not far from you. Uh, They're kind of gathering. Enough of this. I'm not here to indulge you, and I'm not here to listen to your advice, Alistair Stern. I am the new age, and I bring with me the infinite ocean. I'm no longer bound to this world, or any world. The walls between layers, they're nothing. I will reunite the layers of our cosmos. Let them bleed together as they did in the beginning, and they'll be mine. Alania, you cannot exploit this world and all the others, however many there are, you cannot take that for your own. It doesn't belong to you. I'm wondering when Alistair is going to realise that she's evil and you can't reason with her. (laughs) She holds out a hand to you, Alistair. Palm up. I can do anything. And you can too. Join me. Alistair stands up and turns away. She begins to very shakily get to her feet. Okay. There is no use resisting. And if you won't bend the knee, then I will thin the herd. She turns her hand that was palm up over and clenches it into a fist. I gotta make some rolls. What? Right. Alrighty. What? Right. I gotta make rolls. Let me just. Oh no. Always giving exasperated looks. Uh, I don't like it. Now it starts rolling well. <laughs> oh no. Just to factor it in, I also rolled an unnatural 12 on an attack to, like, as soon as she says that, he's gonna, like, attack her again. Like, probably throw the knife. Okay, well, you can do that, but everyone else in the room around you doubles over in pain and drops to the ground um, convulsing in pain no so you can attack her but whether that that's not going to stop what's going on yeah so Alistair like as soon as she says that and like sees what happens throws the knife um, just directly at her forehead and I rolled an unnatural 12 to hit so I assume that hits it does it hits right in the forehead It sinks straight in, but you can hear the kind of the groans and the cries from the others around you. Mother is standing now. She reaches up and she pulls 
the knife out by the hilt and flicks it to the ground and you can see the wound healing itself. There was a time when you could have killed me, Alistair Stern, and that time is past. I am mother. I will be all, and you cannot kill me. She begins to rise into the air again, and you begin to feel the pangs in your own chest and stomach, this pain that's sort of corkscrewing into you. She turns to the tear behind her and spreads her arms wide, and this slit begins to boil and sway, almost conforming to her will. It contorts and shrinks, kind of boils itself down, and then these large stones begin to pry themselves from the walls and the floor, and they grind and slam together into place until the tear has been framed in this archway of stone and the swirling white static disappears and it's replaced by a perfectly still inky blackness and then a gentle wind begins to flow from it and tendrils of creeper vine emerge gently from the black to cover the archway and spread rapidly across the stone Heath, even through the pain something in your gut recognises these vines this wind, the smell that comes with it and you know just instinctually that this gateway leads to the Fae. Mother looks down. The tide has risen. And the world will be changed. The world will be one again. No more walls. No more layers. No more divisions. All will bleed into one. And I will be queen of all. She puts her hand into the air. And you feel the rumbling as tear begins to tear itself apart. Stones begin to fall from the ceiling as a hole is created. Mother tears her way through the basement levels all the way to the top. She's ripping the building apart from the inside out and she's pulling it down around you into a mighty hole. She pulls the very fabric of the building apart. You hear squealing steel, stones dropping, you see the moon and the sky above you and the rain begins to patter down, Alistair. She looks down at you one more time. We will meet again, Alistair Stern. And when we do, you will bow the knee. Or you will die. And then she begins to rise into the night. Alistair is just fighting to keep his eyes open and fighting to not completely collapse to the ground with the pain as he sees her lifting out of the room, rising up. She gets almost out into the open night and then turns again into mist and vanishes in the wind. You're looking up now and you realise it's almost as if she's split the building apart there is now just one great big hole that goes right from this basement level all the way through the roof. And you realise that she's probably completely obliterated the building above and maybe even other buildings on the street here. This is now just a chasm and you are at the very bottom of it. As Mother leaves, the pain begins to lessen and lessen. And just mechanically, so you guys know, I had a mechanic where everyone in the room except for Alistair because she wanted him alive 
um, I had to make a roll, and if you got lower than a six, you died. Oh! Every single person passed their roll. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Take that, Aubrey. You have no power here. And I was like, at least some of them are going to die, and this way, you know, I don't have to feel responsible for killing Puck or Emily. Uh, you know, no. it just is what it is because it's the dice, and then everyone lives. Everyone lives. <laughs> I and think... you live. And you live. <laughs> I think that would have been Alistair's, Toyota Alistair's Corollas. Uh, villain origin story if everyone had died. <laughs> I was so sure. I was like, Warwick, no. Emily, no. Puck, no. I was like, well, it's got to be Granger then. No. Pevensey, no. <laughs> well, what am I supposed to oh, do uh, then? Uh... <laughs> Fine. Uh, Heath is is clutching his chest as he makes his way, like basically crawling over to Warwick. <laughs> You're right. I think I had a heart attack. Mm. They're still alive though. Yep, like, I'm okay. Yep, yeah, yeah, always okay. Okay. And he's gonna like start clambering to his feet shakily and making his way towards Puck to check on her because he's like, ah, oh, Alistair didn't. Alistair didn't fall Al- over. Alistair would have um. Like, because he was kind of affected after the others, he probably came to his senses pretty quickly, and so he would have run straight to Puck to, like, help her up. Yeah, you kind of help her up. She's leaning a lot of her weight on you. She's got an arm around your neck. Uh, Well, that was a lot. Yep. I think we deserve a holiday. I would love that. And a pay rise. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> Alistair looks up at Heath. He's laughing from the background. <laughs> Pay like, Did you hear that? Yeah, you see Emily getting up and stretching her back and groaning. Uh, she's looking up at this destruction of tear. Alistair sees her looking up and he kind of calls out to her he's like I'm sorry I should have I should have taken her out when I had the chance to she's still looking up it's okay Alistair honestly I don't think you could have if you tried whatever she is she is much more powerful than we realised yeah. But no one's getting a pay rise. Otherwise, I don't know how we're going to fix all this. Come on, really? You you expect me to keep working here? Yep. <laughs> no, I feel like... Uh... Oh, boy. Charlotte is not going to be happy about this. We're going to have to take a collection. Heath straightens up at this and rolls his shoulders a little bit and looks over at Emily she looks at you it's okay I know know what? Heath? Heath's gonna start walking towards the elevator at the back of the room Heath Emily crosses to you Alistair and Puck she puts an arm on your shoulder it's okay let's go upstairs if we can we'll get a good assessment on the damage and then we'll know what to do from there no what 
she looks at you and you can see that she's holding back tears. Charlotte and Anne didn't make it. Alistair holds back words as he realises he doesn't have anything to say and just looks at the ground. They fought with honour and they died with honour. And in my family, it's about the best thing you can do. So don't feel bad for them. Defending their home and defending everyone in it, to them that was the most important thing. So... What now? Yeah. She's looking up at the moon that's hanging almost perfectly in the sky above the fissure that was Tear. Where from here? Where from here? weeks the destruction of tear is almost absolute much of the library much of the equipment room the research laboratories there's very little left a great deal was destroyed but many lives were saved the catastrophic attack on south london drew many of tears off-duty agents and therefore saved them from being destroyed in the battle at tears headquarters but as it is Tyr has no place to call home. They bury their dead. They move to new lodgings. They find a small house, not far from Whitechapel, as a makeshift home base. In the small living room, furnished with dowdy, dusty old furniture, the new board of Tyr meet. Emily, Warwick, Heath, Granger, and Pevensey. Alistair, you and Puck are gathered with several other tier operatives, men and women that you recognise. You realise that the future of tier looks very different as Granger begins to outline the situation. He is smoking a cigarette, he's wearing his suit again, and he is sitting in a very lumpy, flower-patterned armchair with doilies on the arms. Well, the future looks different. Mother has changed the playing field now. The gateway that she created in the bottom of Tyr is not the only one. We've begun to get reports from all over the world that similar phenomena have occurred. In Russia, France, in Japan, South America. She seems to be opening these tears and setting guards on them. 
And from what it seems, the supernatural activity in all these locations have increased threefold. And they're showing no signs of slowing down. It seems that she is doing exactly what she threatened. She's trying to usher in some new age. She's trying to bring all powers from other dimensions into ours. My fear is that there is no way to stop her, or not in time. One thing that I was able to scavenge from Anne's notes is that all of these locations are known weak points in the fabric. They're known locations where supernatural events have occurred in the past, hotspots if you will. So our job will be to fight, to retain ownership over these hotspots, to take them back where they've been taken from us, to try and contain and corral whatever comes out of those gates, and eventually, if we can, to close them for good. He surveys the team of tier operatives in the room, and that will be your job. We're going to send you out in teams, small as they are, to each location. We're going to try and pin them down. We're going to try and set up defenses, and we will, one by one, take those gates back. Understood? Understood. Alistair waits for a second and hesitates and then raises his hand. Granger, I have a suggestion. Yes. The archipelago is known to be one of these sensitive places. And um, out of anyone here, I probably know it the best. So I would like to request that I be sent home because I feel like I have a duty to defend that place. I want to go too, says Puck. Alistair kind of is stopped half halfway through a sentence as he's kind of interrupted by her, and he just looks at her and kind of nods. Heath looks around the table, and he thinks about it for a second, and he taps his finger on the table. They vote yes? Oh, we're voting. Absolutely, yes. You do That's that. That's how we do... Warwick. I'm new to this. So am I. <laughs> Emily, what do you say? Uh, Emily is sort of looking at the both of you. I can understand the desire to protect your home, Alistair. So I'm going to vote yes as well. But I think the way forward is going to be to set up a ground base, a, a division of tier in each location. Do you think that you can handle that? Alistair looks at her and then he looks at Puck and just thinks for a second and looks back and he says, yeah, we can handle it. And um, I know some people back there too, some good people. Heath like rubs the bridge of his nose like, oh God, oh no. Not, you're not, not, talk, just, you're not, oh. not just Randy, no. The man's like a hurricane in a single human form. Yeah, well... If we're going to close a bunch of supernatural gateways, I'd I'd vote to have a hurricane on my team. Yeah, well, voting's what we do here, so... <laughs> Looks at Warwick. Voting <laughs> is what we do here. Fine, it's fine. Anyway, it's what, it's what we do the table bit. Are we ready for tea? A little while later, Alistair and Puck, you are 
sitting on a small bench in the front garden of this house. It's an unremarkable house. It's old brick with a very mid-century rose garden, a little patch of grass, and then an iron fence onto the sidewalk. There's one tree in the corner of the garden. You're looking up at this very inconspicuous little house, and it's hard to believe that all of Tyr is now going to be crammed into it. You are breathing in the cool, damp air and looking up at the cloudy sky with the sun just peeking through. Heath is sitting on the concrete stairs that lead from the garden up to the house as it's built on a bit of a platform up from the normal ground level and he's smoking his blue cigarettes and he puffs out a cloud of blue smoke and he says, Now, fundamentally, I think the uh, the difference between a, a portal and a gateway is a gateway needs to have a, a form, exactly. It needs It has to have the, the arch bit. A portal's just... I'm just saying, if you watch Star Trek, that's not necessarily true. But what's the difference between a portal and the gateway, then? There isn't one. There There is. No, they're not. The difference is that gateways exist. Portals are just... Yeah, listen to Alistair. He's the nerd. Portals are just... Exactly. Thank you, Puck, for backing me up in that mildly condescending way. (laughs) Portals just exist in science fiction because, you know, CGI's cheap. Gateways are actual things. CGI isn't cheap. See, what are you talking about? Well, it's comparative. Depend, depending on the budget, you know, it's comparatively cheaper to do that. Anyway, than... anyway, I didn't call you two out here to argue with you, but I'm right. You're right. We can do that in our own time. Uh, Heath is going to rummage in the pocket of the awful, like, light brown cardigan he's wearing and pulls out <laughs> uh, two little wooden boxes and he chucks them to you two. Oh, you shouldn't have. I do seem to be the one buying you two presents a lot. Yeah, well, we don't get paid enough, so... I don't get paid anymore. <laughs> yeah, but you're a member of the board, so, you know, it's kind of an obligation to buy things Yeah, it comes with all of the obligations people. and none of the privileges. Yeah, well, I'm Whereas, pretty sure you, know, you can just... get us a dental plan. Hey, dental plan, that's not a bad idea. Anyway, point is, we didn't get you anything. Sorry, sorry about that. Puck opens the little, little box. Inside the boxes... Uh, very similar, if not complete duplicates, of the necklace that you saw Heath wearing down in the basement level uh, when he was fighting the the weird rabbit man that he cracked that started blinking and that Warwick picked up. So these, me and Warwick have a pair now. You two as well. Upon breaking the glass, they will send out a signal. It is of a completely different frequency. It's quite hard to to block or anything like that. So it's basically, it will reach whatever. And it will send coordinates to anyone wearing the other. So it will send coordinates to me. And it will send coordinates to Alistair or Puck. It is an emergency thing. Alistair picks it up and turns it over in his hand. It's like, wow. This is amazing. Are these are these created by the Fey? Not quite. It's the technology. Fey doesn't have Fey don't have technology. It's operates more on the the way. Yeah, it's it's complicated. But he has a a core that's very different to anything else. It is a core of birch and ash, and 
the way the frequency works through those. It's not a physical frequency like other radios or anything like that. It is fey-like. So it's a wizard phone. No, it's just... Look, whatever it is, I think it's going to go great with my outfit. So thank you yes. for that. Uh, so, yeah. Yes. And then the other thing is I'm supposed to have you two for another year at least. Training wise, but right about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the way tier is at the moment. Those original plans have been scrapped. I think. Could we, we do correspondence or something? I don't know how to send emails. He like holds. He pulls <laughs> something else from his his cards, and you've seen it before. You, his phone. His phone is a flip phone. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm joking. Obviously, that yes. you really need to upgrade that, Heath. Why? It does everything I need it to. And it doesn't shatter when you drop it like every other phone these days. Anyway, he puts it in his pocket. So that means, as this is, you guys are heading off soon. This is the last time we'll see each other for a while. It is my responsibility to give you to your code names from here on out. Oh. So, Pack, for the courage you've shown the courageousness and what you did at, at Tear. I would like to give you the code name Inkart. Hmm. That's pretty good. I, thought it I mean it's good. not it's not quite as punk rock as I was as I was hoping, but look, no, it's good. I'm hoping the punk rock stuff is a phase. It's not a phase, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> this is who I am. Yes, yes it is. Yeah. Well, it's been you your entire life, so maybe it isn't a phase. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Mm. Alistair. She's never getting hair. Yes? She's never getting hair. <laughs> uh, Alistair. For that fancy new toy you've got, and that sharp tongue of yours, I was thinking Raven Point. Well, there you go. Thanks. Thanks, Heath. Puck is looking up at the house. Are you sure you, uh, I don't know, don't want to come with us? Uh, Tier is a little bit too small for teams of three at the moment. Uh, Those aren't luxuries that we can have anymore. And I have debts to pay, not just mortgages, but debts to the Fae. And he pauses for a second and starts looking up the road, tapping on his knee. And I have other responsibilities. You see walking up the street towards you um, a woman dressed in an overcoat. She's carrying a bag of shopping uh, and holding her hand is a small girl dressed in, like, what are they called? Like a Paddington bear. Um, Is it a parka? Yeah, I think so. And when she sees you over the fence, Heath, she breaks away from her mother and begins uh, running to the gate. Alistair sticks his hand out towards Puck. He's like, you have a daughter as well? And then Puck, like... Yeah, you you stick your hand out very discreetly. I shall roll for how discreet it is. Okay, with a 10. Uh, Heath wouldn't notice, but Puck puts puts a 10-pound note in your hand. Heath smiles and says, Yes, if you haven't noticed, this is my house. I, I've oh. I guessed. 
I'm but, sorry um, I said it looked like a piece of shit. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> it's it's about I mean, as much as I can afford. <laughs> the I little mean, girl no, runs right to you and kind of jumps to be caught. You scoop her up under the arms and kind of pull her up into the air and throw her a little bit. She's maybe maybe four. Uh, this is my one. Hi. She sort of looks very shyly at you and kind of tries to hide her face behind Heath's neck. This is Colleen. Hi. Alistair waves. Your wife steps through uh, the gate, closing it behind her. That's the uh, that's the angry one, and that's the awkward one. Uh, she takes Colleen from Heath. Don't worry, I've heard all about you. You would think that he didn't have a child of his own, but... <laughs> now, I have dinner, so you best be coming inside. Heath takes a step up the the stairs and throws his cigarette down into the ground and gestures for the two of you to follow. Are you sure? Yeah, you got a you got a big few couple of weeks ahead of you. Your family as well. And you hear Warwick's booming voice. Ta-da! <laughs> Wonderful. Got the feeling in your bones. Make you feel right at home. Hind it does it, does it well. Keep me dancing till I'm dead. Later, Alistair, you are once again on the rolling seas. You are on the ferry heading from the mainland to the archipelago. This is a trip that you have begun to get used to. Down in the hold, there are crates of tier issue equipment, as much as could be scrounged up for you to settle and begin a base. You and Puck are leaning on the balcony outside of the bridge and you are watching the waves break as uh, the sky begins to clear after the rain and you can see in the very distance uh, the shapes of the islands emerging from the mist but you are on your phone Alistair and you are talking to your sister Alistair's like kind of looking out and holding his phone like waiting for it to go through because the reception is a little bit patchy given that they're not all the way to the phone towers at the archipelago yet it finally connects through. You've got a satellite phone now. Oh wow! It's just it's just like a like a plug-in USB-C attachment for his Android phone. Yeah, it's a big chunky battery black thing on the back of your phone. Yeah, with a big antenna. Hello, Zoe. Alistair, it's good yeah. to hear from you. Yeah. What do it's... I owe this very rare occasion? Well. I've got some news. Um, yes, would that happen to be about the fact that uh, apparently London had a spout of terrorist attacks and that a bunch of stuff has blown up and um, that we haven't heard from you? Uh, it, look, it's related. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to say I was necessarily involved with that. 
Um, but you can make your own mind up about that. Not, not the attacks. I mean, I mean, it's classified. Listen, oh, wow. um, your new favorite excuse. It's classified. I don't have to yeah, tell you anything. It comes in very handy. Listen, I need to tell you something. Um, you know how I told you and Mum that I would be visiting for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And then, you know, then I had to go to America and then came back and then London happened. Uh, well, the good news is I'm not in London anymore okay. and I am coming closer to you. Sounds like there's a caveat coming. Yeah. The bad news is I, I can't come for Christmas. In fact, I... There it is. So I don't know when I'm going to be back, and I might not be for a long time because I am going back to Hookba. What? That's yeah, a surprise. But th- this time uh, on official business. Okay. Look, I can't say much, but I... Uh, of course. Yeah, I'm... My last year has been kind of cut short, and I'm being posted back to the archipelago indefinitely. And I wanted to come and see you and Mum before I left, but unfortunately, it got rushed through, and I am not going to be able to. So I'm on the ferry right now as we speak. Well, that's a surprise, but not wholly unexpected. Mum seemed to think that you would probably end up back there anyway. I don't mean that in like a oh he'll never make <laughs> he'll never of... make it yeah no no, yeah, no 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 it wasn't like that you know how mum is she's never like that but just in the, yeah. the you know it wasn't home for her but it's home for you and then to, to yeah. an extent it's home for me too but you know the worst part is I asked for it okay that's a surprise I know yeah they were they were reorganizing the postings and um I. Requested to be sent back home because I figured if anyone was going to go there, I'd be the person to do it. So I guess I'll be uh, subjected to a hell of my own choosing. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to be doing there? Honestly, and Alistair looks out at the archipelago in the distance. Honestly, I have no idea what it's going to be like, but I'll be doing my job and um, I'll be keeping people safe yeah for now that's really all i know well i guess mum and i'll just have to come visit you there but um yeah that that might be a struggle it'll be fine alistair we'll figure it out no no i mean that i um the london thing kind of has changed a lot of uh a lot of things for places around the world and the archipelago is one of them and uh i think travel is going to be pretty heavily restricted here i don't know if you can come to visit i'm pretty sure because you know what and maybe you didn't hear about this i got a very excited phone call dad got elected mayor again oh no yeah oh. the the rap album worked <laughs> So, look, we've got a little bit of weight with the local authorities. Yep. 
that's <laughs> man. Uh, I hope he's excited. Have about fun that. working with Dad. Yeah, thanks. Well, look, if there's any way we can swing it, I would love to see you. But um, that's probably not up to me, and I I don't really know if it's up to Dad. It's probably more up to the people I work for. But anyway, I just wanted to call to say hi and to tell you that I'm not coming back for Christmas, and you know I'll I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks for the call, Alistair. You take care. Tell mum I love her. Will do. Love you. Love you. See ya. Alistair hangs up. Go throw C4 on the seafloor. Miss Stern's next goal. Let's bomb the hell out of the giant eel. The eel's back. <laughs> the eel's back. All right. Puck is leaning over the railing, looking out at the sea as you hang up the phone. Well, I guess you'll have to show me around. Don't really know what yeah. to expect. It's um Well, it's something. Apparently my dad's mayor again. So ah, there's that. I don't really know if that's a good thing. It's not. It's definitely not. Well, we'll be fine. We'll set up shop. We're gonna have our own tier agency. We'll recruit all of your little friends. And we'll fight monsters. What more could you want? Uh I don't know, more takeaway places? Um, now you have lived here all of your life, so I don't mean to, you know, ask an obvious question, but is that normal? And she's pointing out at the bank of fog that is sort of rolling across the sea. It's rolling out from the island towards you, obscuring. You had been being able to see the islands emerging, and now they are completely obscured and lost in the fog that is rolling rapidly towards the boat. Alistair looks out and squints his eyes. Says, no, that's that's not an obvious obvious question. Uh, I I've never seen that before. That's that's not normal. I mean, it's it's pretty misty here most of the time, but not like that. Well, I guess we're going to find out. I guess so. As the fog rolls itself around the ferry, and the ferry disappears into the mist. Tides is written, created, produced, and done by Aubrey Lydon, Chester Lydon, and BJ Ingate. We thank you so much for sticking with us and listening to our second season. It has been quite a wild ride, and thank you to all of our patrons who have been supporting the show. It helps us immensely to carve out the time in our busy working lives to continue to make the show and bring it to you. This is the last episode for season two, but we will be returning next year with a series of mini-series. That's kind of a bad way to say that. Next year, Dark Tides will be back with a prequel mini-series releasing on our main feed called The Ever-Pleasant Mr. Bates. That is written and produced by Chester Lytton, and it will be starring BJ, I, and a brand new cast of other actors. That's it. You heard it here first. It's not just us that you have to put up with. It's going to be other people as well. you got to recognise more voices. That will be airing in 
early to mid-February next year. Uh, if you check out our social media and you sign up for notifications on whatever device or platform you use to listen to our podcast, that'll let you know when things are coming out. So stay tuned. If you need some more Dark Tides goodness to fill the space in the new year, our Patreon is literally bursting at the seams with an after-show chat for the first two seasons of the show, ongoing mini-campaigns, another prequel mini-series, all sorts of things over there. There are different levels of support, so please consider how you might like to support the show and help us to keep making it, and we will see you in the new year. So until then, have a wonderful time, and um, don't burn anything down. Thank you.